you grab your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Timothy, the beginning of chapter 6 this morning. So the first couple of verses here, I'm about to finish up. A few more sermons when we through 1 Timothy. And uh, the men and I yesterday were talking about where we'd be going next, um, as far as preaching goes. And we haven't exactly landed on anything particularly, but... Um, we will be talking about evangelism from the pulpit. Um, elders and I, or not the elders, the trustees and the guys, elders in training, as it were, uh, we've been talking about uh, how we can begin to reach our community for Christ um, in, in more and more ways. And so we want to start thinking of what evangelism is and what is at the root of it, which ultimately is God moving through the prayers of his people. And so that's probably where we'll be going. I don't know specifically what text of Scripture we'll be in, but that's probably going to be this summer. And so be praying for that. Be praying for the growth of our church, Um, not because we want to fill seats and pick up members, but because we want the gospel to go out with some power here in Jasper. Let's read together then. Um, Well, you you listen. I'll read. Uh, 1 Timothy 6. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants or slaves, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good services are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. This is the word of God. Let's give praise to him this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful and is able to make us wise unto salvation and to godly lives. We thank you that it will do, do that for us this morning um, as we believe in the power of your spirit to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this theme that's been running through the book of First Timothy of of really just quiet, godly lives of what we're supposed to do as Christians. The fact that we tend to, we tend to think of, even now, even after the whole Protestant rev, revolution of saying that there, isn't special, there aren't special people who are more blessed by God in the office of priest, we still tend to think of the people who really serve God are the people who are in missions or who are pastors, and the rest of us are just kind of the people in the pew. Um, but the reality is God calls all men everywhere, all women everywhere, to live godly lives, and that that witness, living godly lives, is the powerful witness of the gospel. And so when we think, we begin to think about what it means to be evangelizing the community a big part of it is just simply living godly lives. And so here we have this um, commandment given by Timothy or by Paul through Timothy to the Ephesian church. Tell all who are under, this, under the yoke as slaves. Um, the ESV translates that word bondservant here, and maybe you could make a case that elsewhere you might translate that word bondservant. The fact that they're calling it under the yoke, means that we're talking about real slaves who were basically used as oxen, right? The yoke idea. These were not servants in a house. These were people who were under pressure from their owners 
to do a job without pay, and often in difficult circumstances. This is particularly helpful because, you know, as I, as I was preparing for the sermon, I, you know, you know, I read John Calvin's sermon on Timothy, and he talks about how light and frivolous we've all become, and this is in the 1500s, because we don't know anything about slavery like it used to be. And this is the time where, you know, you had uh, 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 peasants and fiefdoms and all these sorts of things were happening. And he says, we don't, we don't know anything about what it means to suffer the way slaves did. And the reality is, we don't now have any idea what it means to suffer as a slave. And, you know, our history, because of, because of our history in this country of having chattel slavery in the South, we tend to shy away from using the language of slaves because we don't have any experience with it. But let's, let's not silence the word of God where it speaks clearly. That where we are able, even if we were to come under some sort of similar sort of system, if, if the Lord would have in his will for us to be in some sort of war, taken over by some other country, and put into some subservient role, that this would be a command to us in that, sense, in that instance. That we would be in the same plight. Um, and so don't dismiss it because it's about slaves and we don't know what that would mean. But then how do we apply it to us today? Um, the reality is we all are servants in some capacity to anyone who's in authority over us. And so the general equity from the text is where we are at work. Now, I realize that many of you are retired, and so you don't have a boss anymore. And so I've been thinking all week, how do I preach to a bunch of people who, for the most part, don't have jobs? There are a few of us still working under a boss. Um, David, you know, Brian, me, kind of. Uh, well, Greg has a boss. Um, the, uh, she, was, she was very clear that it was me. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but the reality is most, most of you don't have a, a boss right now, right? So... How, how are we supposed to understand this text? And I think for us, when we're thinking long-term about the health of our church, where we're going, what's happening, um, we need to realize that, you know, we have, we, everyone knows this problem exists. I actually was, my uh, mother-in-law and uh, Sarah's stepdad were in town yesterday, and he, he and I got into a discussion about work. And so he is in his early 60s. He works for a... a basically a parts facility for, for semis. So he, it's a distrib- distributing warehouse that sends parts out for semi repair, right? And so he's, he's had just all kinds of young men cycle through in the back room working parts with him. And they're all terrible. Like, I don't think he's ever said a good word about any of them because they're all terrible workers, even the ones he has now. He's like, we got two, two guys. They come in late. They leave early. They don't stay late. They don't get jobs done. As soon as the one thing that I told them to go do, they finish. They go sit in my office and just lounge around and take a break. They don't find work to do. And so this is a common theme. I don't need to preach long for you guys to go, yes, I know those guys. Um, And so the problem, though, is that our response to that is usually just to tell people to work harder and to get a work ethic. And we forget that lying behind that problem is a gospel issue. That we need to tell people that in the Christian life, it's not just you should work hard because it's what you should do. But if you're a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, if you say, I belong to First Presbyterian Church, 
that if you don't work well, hard, honoring your boss, your master, that you stain the name of God and the gospel which we proclaim. And so the thing that we need to get in our heads as folks who are largely out of the workforce and hopefully by God's glory bringing in people in the workforce is not just to say to them, you know, 19-year-old kid who comes to our church, get a job, work hard. But, brother, if you are a Christian, the name of God is at stake where you work every day when you show up. That working hard is not just so that you can get a better job, get a promotion, get paid more, move on to a better job, get a promotion, get paid more. It's not so that we can have better life attainment. It's not for money's sake that we do this. It's not even for respectability that we do this. It's for the gospel's sake. And so what we need to get into our minds is hopefully as our church grows, that when we see people who, especially young men, who don't work hard, who bounce around in jobs, who work part-time as 19 or 20-year-olds. Um, I met a kid who's 20 years old just a couple weeks ago here in town. I asked him what he did. Well, first I asked him if he was in school. He said no. And then I said, well, what do you do for work? And he said, I'm, you know, just kind of surfing right now. He's in a, he's in a Christian ministry here in town. But involved. What is a 20-year-old kid who doesn't work doing trying to tell teenagers what the gospel is. He's got no witness. And I know this personally, right? Um, in college, what my main job when you're in college is to be a student. Um, you guys know a little bit, but I, I failed miserably at my main job in college. I didn't go. And I remember specifically this guy named Scott Papadon, my Bible study leader. You've heard me mention his name. He sat down with me week after week after week, and he said basically this line, Joe, all the time that you spend in class when you go talking about Jesus is a fool's errand, and it dishonors Christ. He said this to me over and over and over again, and I thought, you're an idiot, Scott. What, what do you mean I bring dishonor to the name of Jesus by talking about him? He's like, you, don't, you have no witness because you don't go to class. You don't work. And I thought, you're nuts. I talk about Jesus more than any of the rest of you. It's not about saying the name of Jesus at your job. It is about honoring God by honoring your boss. And specifically, right here, it's honor to the master that's at stake. Right, That all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own master's as worthy of all honor. And so it's not just about hard work. It's not about getting the job done. Yesterday morning as well at the elder training, we were looking at um, the catechism, larger catechism, and we were going through part of um, the fifth commandment. The exposition on the fifth, fifth commandment is honor your father and mother, right? And so... We learn from studying the catechism and from scripture, which is behind these answers, that when the commandment was given to honor your father and mother, it didn't just mean your biological father and mother. But all throughout scripture, different superiors are called fathers and mothers. And so to give you an idea of this, um, in 2 Kings, 
you have this story about uh, this king named Naaman who comes and he's healed. And in the middle of that story, you have this. But Naaman's servants, his slaves, right? So this is a king. He has people who do everything he tells them to do. Go get my slippers. Go get my robe. Attend to me in the bathroom. Do as I say. Don't question my authority. You're my servant. I'm the king, right? This is the relationship. But Naaman's servants came near and said to him, My father. His servants regarded him as their father. And so we know that if we're rightly regarding our masters, our bosses, that we should regard them as our fathers. That doesn't mean they're good. It just means by virtue of being our boss, they are our father. And so that means that you treat your employer differently than just what you think of when you think of a boss. And so we have to encourage the folks in our church and encourage you who do work for bosses right now that they are your fathers, your mothers, if you have a woman over you. And you are to honor them. And honoring, we know, is bigger. It's, it's more than just doing the job, right? That there is a heart-level issue at stake. And this is really the difficult part. You could do all the work required of you at a job and have no honor, no honor for the one who employs you. You could, you could attack every task, accomplish it on time, with skill, and have no honor for the one above you, for your father, for your master, your boss. And the reason that I say it like that is honor is not just doing. We see that most clearly in the parable of the wayward son, right? The wayward son asks for his inheritance and goes out. The son who stays when the prodigal son returns, the older son says, you've never thrown the fattened calf for me. I've stayed. I've done everything you've ever told me to do. I've, I've always done what you said. But the elder brother had no honor for his father. He had just as little honor for his father as his brother who left. They did not honor their father. They had no love for their father. They just, the elder brother just did what he was told. And so when we think of what it means to honor our boss, honor our master, honor our father at work, it needs to be more than just doing the task assigned. And so this is the way... This is the positive end of things that our, our catechism talks about. Is do. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? The honor which inferiors, which would be the employees, right? The honor which employees owe to their bosses, slaves to their masters, is all due reverence in heart. We're already on thin ground with many of us. Because we've all had bosses that aren't nice and aren't good. But it doesn't say honor with reverence the good boss that you have, the good master you have. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, specifically in 1 Peter 2, it says this about the same sort of subject. That it's actually more important to do this if they're a bad boss. So... This is 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. 
For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And he goes on to talk about the, the meaning behind this, but it's important to note, it doesn't mean honor a good boss, honor a good master, honor a good father. All due reverence to your superiors. End of statement. All due reverence in heart, in word. This is the most common thing that I saw at my time at Home Depot. No one talked well of their superiors. They all talked badly of their superiors. Now, that doesn't mean you can't disagree with the position of your boss. It doesn't mean you can't say, I don't think that's right, or I don't think that's a good decision. I disagree with you. You can disagree with your boss, and you can disagree publicly out loud. But I'm talking about the snideness that comes with it. The tone of voice, the reality that behind and underneath your statement is not love for your father, your master, your boss. It is contempt. So you have to all have reverence in your heart in word and behavior. So there's behavior, what you do. Also prayer and thanksgiving for them. Where have we heard that? In First Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and thanksgiving be given for all men, especially kings and all who are in high places. It's the same exact theme. Prayer and thanksgiving. When is the last time you prayed for your boss? When is the last time you urged someone else to pray for their boss when they were complaining to you about their employment? And when was the last time you said you should be thankful for not just your job? We say that a lot. You should be thankful you have a job. You should give thanks for your boss. And listen, this is not, you know, I'm preaching this sermon. These are not easy things to do. That's the whole point. That this, the gospel witness that we have doesn't come by simply being around in life. It comes through hard work. Thinking every day when we wake up, how might I please the God who saved me? How might I make his honor known today? I can make his honor known by giving thanks for my boss, by praying for him. Continues on. Imitations of their virtues and graces. And immediately my mind thinks, well, I know bosses without any virtues or graces to imitate. And why is that true of me? Because I've never prayed for those men and never given thanks for them. Because we all know that as soon as you start praying for someone and giving thanks to God for them, you begin to realize there are things about them that are good, that should be imitated, that you can actually look to and say, you know that, I really want to not like you anymore, but I've been praying for you for like three weeks now. And I noticed that you do this thing, and that's good, and I should do that too. And it could be a small thing. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't say pray and give thanks if it's a really big thing that your boss does. You could give thanks that your paycheck always comes on time. I mean, that's a small thing, but have you ever worked for someone who doesn't pay on time? Right? It's, it becomes a very difficult thing if you're in a pinch, right? So if you're dependent on a paycheck to come and it comes three days late or ten days late or a month late, I've worked for people like that, it can be very difficult. And you give thanks for things like that. 
All kinds of small things you can give thanks for. The fact that you don't have to bring your own pen to work, but they provide one. I mean, there are a thousand things you can be thankful for at your job and for your boss specifically that he does for you, that you think nothing of. Willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels. Lawful. That means non-sinning. So they could tell you to do the most ridiculous task in the world, and you willingly obey it even though it's ridiculous. Um, I was talking to my uh, stepdad, stepfather-in-law yesterday, and one of the companies I worked for in Warsaw uh, was I drove truck for them. So my task, like if you read my job description, I'm sure I have a document somewhere. My job was a truck driver. I was to get into a truck that was loaded, pull out, shut the doors, drive it to the next place, open the doors, back into the dock. Somebody else unloaded it, loaded it. I was never supposed to use a forklift. I was never supposed to do anything but sit in the cab of that truck. A month before my time there was over, the owner of the whole company had this other facility in Ohio. It needed cleaned out. It had been sitting vacant for like five or ten years. Nobody in it. And you know what happens to buildings that nobody is in at all? They're full of varmints, varmint poop. Just It's just dingy and dark and nasty and moldy and stinky and... So me and a a maintenance guy who could run a torch get sent. We drive like four or five hours, one direction. And our job is to take these big metal frame structures. You can think of them kind of like shelving. And he had to cut them down so they would fit into a semi. And then I took this ancient forklift, ancient forklift. Like, I have no idea how old it was. And I'm surprised it could actually still start kind of forklift. And it was huge. I mean... It was one that's like from here to the wall, just a mammoth machine that you couldn't maneuver well, that, you know, didn't work. And what did I have to do? I had to wait for the guy to cut it with a torch, pick it up, maneuver it into my truck, somehow trying to shimmy it up there. We had to do that two different days. It was ridiculous. It was not in my job description. I was happy to do it. I'm getting paid. Whoa. Yo, I'm on, I'm live now. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the reality is we need to be willing to be obedient as long as it's not causing us sin. Um, that that is a thing that needs to be true of us when we're working. Um, do submission to their corrections. Where's the fun in that? They correct us. Hey, you submitted this report. You submitted it wrong. You typed it in the wrong form. You put this thing over there. Um, I want the pens placed on this side of the desk, not that side of the desk. I mean, just if you have a weird boss who has weird things, you just, you're just doing them, and then you're submitting to his correction when you don't do them the way he said to do them. Um, fidelity to. Faithfulness to your boss, who you don't like, who you think is a bad boss. Faithfulness to them. Defense of them. So when you're gathered around the water cooler and everybody else is talking nasty about them, you defend them. How many of us have ever done that to anyone that we don't like, about anyone? We never defend our superiors. We never do. If we don't like them, they're getting everything thrown at them, and the best we do is not add to it. But we would never go, hey, 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 hey. So-and-so, though he has his foibles, is our boss, and he has done X, Y, and Z for us. 
and we ought to honor him. I have never uttered anything close to that kind of a phrase, and I doubt any of us have. What is it about us that makes us not do these sorts of things? It's because we think at the root of it all, we should be the master, and they should be the servant, the slave. That's really what's going on. They are not fit to be where they're at. And what is that at the root? That is a, is a man-centered, person-centered, me-centered thinking that God didn't know what he was doing when he made that person your boss. That he made a mistake, and it should have been you. And this kind of thinking, it will ruin a man. And not just ruin the man, it will ruin the gospel witness that he has. Because if he's always thinking, it should be me. It should be me. Not that guy. Not that guy. Definitely not that guy. Me. It should be me. And I have watched men who I love make this kind of decision and thinking. Men who I love who have been told, no, not for you. Especially the pastorate, the pastoral ministry. Tim is here. He has known these. And Anna is here. They have known these men who have been said, We don't think it's for you. And some of those men have received that correction and have submitted to it. And they have grown and become loving sons in the church. And some of those men have not. They have said, really in their heart, not you, but me. I should be there. And so they have done all opposite of what I've just been talking about. Instead of defending, they offend. Instead of praying for, they curse. This is what is at stake. Is when that sort of thing happens, it's not just the relationship that's broken. It's not just the employment that ends. It's not just the fact that they're never happy at their job. If they're a Christian, if they claim Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is snuffed out in the life of that place. And it can't grow. Because God's name is not honored. And where God's name is not honored, he will not begin to show up. This is what happens all through the Old Testament. Over and over and over and over again, the story is, you have not shown honor to my name. Right? The psalm we read this morning. Did you catch it? Psalm 9. You probably didn't because you weren't listening for it, so I forgive you. Um, I know I didn't tell you to listen for it. (laughs) It was a trick. I tricked you. It's going to be on the test. (laughs) So it started out, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing to praise to your name, O Most High. That when we're thinking about what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, is to exalt the name of our God above all others. And then we're doing this thing at work, and we're diminishing the name of God. And then we're, we're giving lip service to the idea that we honor God. He's like, I'm not anywhere near what you're talking about. I am not involved in your proceedings. Depart from me. Away with you. You're a wayward child. And so what, what do we need to be a healthy, growing body of believers? We need those who are out of the workforce to be willing to say to those in the workforce, every day, every day, the gospel is at stake where you're at. Every single day. 
Every single interaction you have with your fellow employees and your employer, the gospel is at stake. How important is it for you to get your way and have your say? Important enough that the gospel gets snuffed out? And so this ultimately isn't about a work ethic. It's not just getting the job done so that your boss gets off your back. It's a heart-level issue that we need to see and we need to help men and women do. And if we're doing these things, if we're honoring God in the places where we work, if we're living what Paul says earlier in 1 Timothy, quiet, godly lives. So we're not making a scene about ourselves, but we are living godly. And godliness springs from the heart. We're doing that, and we can have hope. We can have hope that people will see the gospel. We, we quote it, you know, let your light shine so that men may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We quote it. But do we actually believe that? Do we actually think that it will actually make a difference in this community if a group of 25 or 30 people are committed to making their lives godly so that the, sake, so that the name of Jesus is proclaimed in their lives? Will actually make a difference? If we believe the scriptures, and we do, then we know that it actually will make a difference. It's not throw out the, you know, the big, uh, have a big parade and say, come to First Presbyterian. It's live godly lives. Live godly lives. And by so doing, you will honor your Father in heaven, and your Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret will reward you, not just in the life to come. Right? We had a sermon weeks ago now. Blessed are you, and those blessings are not just future They're not all just yours is the kingdom of heaven to come. You will be comforted. Blessed are those who are mourned, but you will be comforted. He doesn't just mean when you're dead. He means now. You get the blessings of God now. And we will get the blessings of God for the fruit of our labors now. And that doesn't mean our church is going to be 3,000 people tomorrow, although God could do such magnificent things. But it does mean that God will see and he will reward He does see. He will reward. So we have to have courage. We have to actually do these things. And we do them at the root. So again, at the root is the gospel. And why is it so much at stake in this one thing? Slave to master, employee to boss, son and daughter to father. Why? Why is that relationship so foundational? Why is it the... First of the second half of the commandments. Before you shall not murder is you shall honor your father and mother. It is because the fatherhood of God is at stake. Right? When I came down years ago now, this was before I came down for the pastor's college, I sat in on a class with Tim Bailey up at Trinity. And he made this big stink about this verse in Ephesians. And I thought, Tim, why are you making such a big stink about this one verse in Ephesians? And it's this verse. I'm going to read it for us. Tim and Ann can probably quote it by heart. You've heard it a few times, I think. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and on earth is named. 
That when we're doing this relationship, employer to boss, slave to master, son to father, it's not God who gets the title father from what we experience here on earth. We don't call God father because we have fathers. We don't call God master because we have masters. We don't call God king because we have kings. We call God father and we act as fathers and sons because he is the father. We know what a father-son is supposed to be because we saw it in the Trinity. We know what it should be like when you have Jesus here on earth, the Son of God, and his reverence for the Father, his willingness to comply, to obey, his thanksgiving for the Father, his reverence for the Father, his love for the Father. We know that that is what we need to be proclaiming when we work. That's what we need to be proclaiming all the time when we deal with those who are superior to us in office. So this is true, right? We've dealt with this a lot since I've been here because of the political turmoil we're in. But this is, this is true at local elected officials here in the town. This is true state level. This is true national level. So this is true. Whether you disagree with every policy he will ever put in place or not, there is a president who now sits at the helm of this country named Joe Biden. How do we speak, talk, think, pray, act, honor, reverence that man? We need, to, we need to begin applying these sorts of things to our lives because if we begin to act in accord with the gospel, it will shine. It is different. It is unique. It is a light in the darkness. It lights up the world. Let's not put it under a bush. Right? It's, it's not covered up. It's a simple little child song from Scripture. But listen, hide it under a bushel? No! Don't do it! Let your light shine before men. Eh? You, didn't, you weren't expecting that this morning, were you? I'm pretty proud of that one. Um, quiet, godly lives. This is, not, this is not difficult in one very real sense. Right? We're not talking about You need to become just severe to your body and just overpower yourself. I'm just saying, take small steps. Pray for your boss. Pray for the president. Give thanks. You begin doing that, you begin like doing that sort of thing, then a lot of this stuff flows out of it because you'll begin to actually honor and reverence them in ways you haven't before. And I'm preaching to the choir here. I have just as much problem with this as anyone else. This is just as much entrenched in my sinful soul as it is in yours. And this is the good news of Jesus. He came to redeem us from all of that. He came to give us newness of life, not just from one area of life that we had some sin in, but every area of life. He said, I will show you a new way to live and to glorify me. And this is what he does over and over so that we could rely on him, trust in him, hope in him. So I hope... I hope you see the benefit of it, the goodness of it, and the fact that we we need to do this. If we want to have any hope for the church here and across the world, we need to do these things. We need to teach these things. And that's really where our church is at. You know, age-wise, that's where we're going. You know it. Begin practicing it so that you can teach and urge these things to those who come through our doors. That we would be a beacon of light in this town that no one has seen before.
It is different. First Presbyterian is different. They talk about things different over there. Everything is all about letting the light of the gospel shine. All the time. They never give it up. That's, that's what we need. Amongst each other and then out and out and out into this community. Let's pray this morning and then we're going to take um, communion. Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. Thank you for the love you have for us. We pray, Father, that you would mark our church, uh, not just for a hard work ethic, but for honor and reverence to our masters, our fathers, our superiors. And, Father, that you would give us that um, and that people would see it. They would ask, they would wonder, what is it, what is it play here? What is this light shining in a dark place? And that, Father, you would draw them by your Spirit to you, that your Son would save them, and that they would live lives glorifying to you. We pray this in the name of your good Son. Amen. So then, this morning we're taking the Lord's Supper. And he was a good Son. And he did all that the Father asked him to do. And some of what the Father asked him to do would seem to us like a bad call. If our boss said, go sacrifice yourself for the man that hates you at work. So this would be the equivalent, right? So you have the guy who just absolutely despises you. We've all had the other employee, the guy across the aisle who just snarls at us. And our boss comes to us and says, hey, on, on your break, take your break, go sweep up this area, clean it up. Get everything in place Not because your boss is trying to like, make meanness towards the guy, but just saying, go do this thing that will just blow this other guy's mind because he hates you so much. And we would look at our boss and go, you've lost your mind. You know what he's going to do if he comes back and finds me doing this? He's going to take that room and hit me with it. He will not enjoy the fact that I'm doing the job he should have done. That's the sort of thing that the Father did with the Son. He said to do the thing we should have done and didn't. He said to clean up the mess that we made while we hated him for it. And he obeyed, willing, glad, gave his life for us. And it is foolishness to the world. It is absolute foolishness. It's just as foolish as your boss going, go clean up the guy who hates you's workspace and everything will be okay after. It's just foolish. But that's exactly what happens with Jesus. He does what is foolish in the eyes of the world and shames them. Shames them. And that's what this suffering represents. Is the foolishness that we're called to believe. That we have a Father who we can never hope to please. Because He is holy beyond holiness. And He says, this is the mark and we have all failed. And so how can we ever come to this family and take part in this family dinner? Jesus, who died. More than that, rose again. And in Him, we are now called brothers and sisters. In Him, by His Spirit, we cry, Father, Father. In Him now, we can obey freely from the heart. We can have reverence for God from our heart. We can obey from the heart. We can use good words from our heart. We can give real praise and thanksgiving from the heart to God 
who is Father of all. But without Christ, without this, without knowing that Jesus did that for us, everything we did would just be lip service to the King. We might be just like an elder brother who did all the things and expected all the blessings but had nothing to show for it and had no honor in his heart for his dad. In Christ, we get to be free to actually do these things, to actually please the Father of all glory and life. What an unbelievable thing. And what a, an unbelievable weight is lifted from our shoulders. This morning in Sunday school, we, we dealt with what the grace of God is in the book Knowing God. And the fact that when you begin to ponder and think about the weight of your sin, the stench of your sin, the grossness of your sin, the expense of your sin, and then realize that in Christ, all of that, all of it, staying away, the stench, the cost, the weight. We sang this morning, nothing but the blood, or as I say, nothing but the blood. You might say with that hard G on the end, but I don't. Uh, that's what it is. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning. The fact that Jesus shed his blood. So that we could be called sons of God. It's an unbelievable thing that God did for us. It is an unbelievable privilege to come and participate in this. The fact that when we do this, Christ is present with us. And he says, My son, my brother, my sister, come and eat with me at my father's table. It's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. And so this table is set for us. It's set for us if we know that we don't deserve it. If we know that all the things that I talked about this morning, all the ways that we have done these things against our bosses and our superiors, the fact that we have all the time dishonored them, and we're now knowledgeable, now we know it more than we did an hour ago. Now we feel it we think back to that time that we did that, or yesterday when we said this, or thought this, or the times that we have despised our bosses, and we have felt now the weight of it, new, fresh this It's overwhelming. Now, as I was preparing, I could have given hundreds of examples that came to mind this week of, of just ridiculous stuff that I have done through the years to my employers. We have all done thousands of things. Thousands of things. Um, that bring us on to the name of God, the Father of all fathers. And we feel it if we've been listening and the Spirit moving our hearts. That's who this day is. Those who know that without the grace of God, all you would have would be the burden of that feeling. <clears throat> but in the grace of God, from the grace of God, by the grace of God, you have forgiveness. And so this table is set to remind you, you do not have to bear that burden. And it is, it is actually forgiven. 
You don't have to take it to the grave. But the God, through His Son, triumphs over the grave. And then you can live a new life. Tomorrow can be different. The way you react tomorrow is different than the way you react today. Because God makes you new each morning. Grace is new each morning. And so here at the table, we know that. This table is not set for those who don't know that. Who think they have no part in any of the stuff I talk about this morning. If you sat through the sermon and you think, I have never once ever done anything against any boss that I've ever had, they could ever be called a sin. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. This table's not for you. You need to know your need for Christ that died. You need to know the fact that His blood was shed because you sinned. And so this table was set for those who know their sin and know their need and believe it. So when we take it, we take it for ourselves so that our faith will be strengthened. So that when we feel the weight of our sin day to day, hour to hour, that we will remind ourselves, no, we have partaken. We have actually participated in the body and blood of Jesus. He actually has redeemed us. I am His own. He is mine. I am the Father's. The Father is mine. He is my beloved. And my beloved is mine. That's what we're doing this morning. So feel the weight of your sin and then, and then by God's grace through this sacrament, feel the grace of God given to you by His body. Have the men come forward now. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. Let's declare it to one another this morning. Let me pray that men and distribute Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ, the fact that his body was broken so that ours does not have to be. That his body felt the blows that we deserve. And Father, help us to know that this morning. Help us to realize that our sins, though they are many, find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. We pray that you help us this morning to feel it. In Jesus' name.
Father, we also remember the fact that your son didn't just receive the blows in his body, but his blood was spilled. And by the shedding of his blood, we have forgiveness of sins. And so all the things that we are reminded of this morning, we know that they find in you the complete washing away at the cross. That we have complete forgiveness and righteousness that is not our own because of Christ's blood shed for us. We pray that you help us be known this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Around the edge are wine and in the middle is juice. That's the third verse start. The Lord has promised good to me. His my soul secures. He will bless you and fortress me as long as one your son Jesus Christ who gives us forgiveness for a thousand sins that we know and thousands more that we don't. We pray Father that you would make us lights and beacons here in Jasper. That we would love uh, one another with a godly love. That we would honor our bosses. That we would encourage the same in one another. And that your glory, your name would be honored. And Father that you would bring many to yourself. That they would see our good deeds. And they would give honor to you, our Father in heaven. We pray this in the name of your good Son, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing the closing, number 347, And Can It Be. And can it be that I should gain interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou my God should die for me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne 
above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, <coughs> for Adam's helpless race, tis mercy all immense and free for oh my god it found out me amazing love how can it be that thou my god shouldst die for me Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, the awoke the dungeon claimed with light. Thy chains fell off, my heart was free. But oh, my earth and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that oh, my God shouldst die for me? No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Go in peace.